Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hover. Today, I'm ecstatic to introduce one of my favorite humans that I've ever known, the exquisite Dr. Melanie Joy. She's a Harvard-educated psychologist, and she specializes in relationships, communication, and social change. She's the award-winning author of six books, including what we're going to talk about today, Getting Relationships Right, How to Build Resilience and Thrive in Live, Love, and Work, and another classic that's one of my favorite books of all time, Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows. Listen in to see why vulnerability, integrity, and pride is so important to choosing yourself. I am absolutely ecstatic to have my wonderful, extraordinary friend with me today who is a world leader and has is one of my favorite humans on the planet. And I'm very honored to introduce Dr. Melanie Joy. Melanie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. And right back at you. It's so, so good to see you and so good to connect with you. And you know, you're also one of my favorite people. So I'm really looking forward to this. And thank you. Your new book, I think everyone in the world should read. I think it would make the world a better place because, well, it's called Getting Relationships Right, How to Build Resilience and Thrive in Life, Love and Work. And it is something that I think can help absolutely everyone. And there's so many values. We could talk for hours. I want to talk for hours and hours with you. But since we keep it a little bit short here, I wanted to highlight three of the fundamental principles you talk about that are very fundamental to the whole concept of this this podcast of choosing you now. And um, I would love to start with vulnerability. And I just want to quote your step, quote you back to you, how you say, um, to be as transparent as possible, to be vulnerable, and how being vulnerable is a sacred gift when entering into a relationship, but that we live in a world replete with abuses of power, widespread suffering, and rampant competition and addiction. And it takes courage to choose to be vulnerable in such a world, to show up rather than hide. I just, can you please expound upon that? And how do we feel safe enough to feel vulnerable in this world? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, that is a really great question. How do we feel safe enough to feel vulnerable in this world? Um, You know, we have been born into a deeply, deeply relationally dysfunctional world. And that is just the the reality. My book is is really a one-stop guide to building relational literacy, which is the understanding of and ability to practice healthy ways of relating. And, um, you know, I have said it before and I'll say it again. I'm always just astounded that most of us have to learn complicated geometry that we'll probably never need to use. And we don't get a single formal lesson in how to relate in a way that's healthy. And so we really are, our collective level of relational literacy is is profoundly low. We are really still living in what I call the relational dark ages. And so we, many people do not know how to relate in a way that's healthy, in a, a, a way that's gonna honor your dignity, in a way that actually is going to keep you safe. So while we do, I think it's very important for us to be able to experience our vulnerability and be our authentic selves, it's really important for us to use good judgment. And you know, if you're in a situation which doesn't feel emotionally safe to you, you should not be. Uh, you know, allowing yourself to be vulnerable. And so this is really about um, 
when I talk about vulnerability, I'm talking about entering into relationships. And I don't just mean romantic relationships. My book is about all kinds of relationships, but entering into relationships or being in relationships with yourself, your relationship with yourself, with your relationship with others and committing to being as present, as authentic as possible as long as you have a good indication that the other individual is committed to honoring your dignity, to seeing you as fundamentally worthy and treating you with respect, to creating a secure environment for you. So vulnerability is important. It is, um, if we don't show who we truly are, we can't form authentic connections with others or ourselves. And it's important to be judicious about when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. And sometimes putting up boundaries really is the right thing to do. How do we learn to appreciate that value of vulnerability where it is so fundamental in any kind of relationship, any kind? It's scary. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but I, I would not say it's fundamental in any kind of relationship. It is fundamental to healthy connected relationships. If you want to have a, a relationship where you have any, any real connection with the other person, you have to be somewhat vulnerable. Being vulnerable means being open, being honest, showing up, being authentic. This is what I truly think. This is what I truly feel, obviously expressing that with, with compassion. Um, and at the same time, we, it's not appropriate to be vulnerable with just anybody. You know, you, when we move through the world, there are many people in the world who are not, uh, who haven't really learned the principles and tools for relating in a way that's healthy and who derive their own sense of power from feeling that they have power over others. And in this situation, if somebody doesn't feel safe, then you, then you wouldn't be um, practicing or, or open with them. When you're with somebody who you want to connect with or who you feel connected with, you know, to really allow yourself to be vulnerable requires that you, 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 you take the time to pause and look inside yourself and try to really understand, tune into and understand what is happening inside of you. What are my thoughts? What are my feelings? What are my needs? Being vulnerable means being open and being authentic and being honest. And you can't really be authentic and honest if you don't actually know what you're thinking and feeling in the first place. So really the first step is developing an awareness of yourself so you can be your open self. And to do that, it's important to develop your, your inner observer. You know, your inner observer is that part of you that's always been there, that always will be there, that is watching use yourself. It is just watching objectively, compassionately. It's not making up a story. You know what I'm talking about because you have an inner observer and everybody listening knows what I'm talking about because they have an inner observer. It's that part that is noticing what is happening inside and around you without making up a story about it, without judging it, without criticizing it. It's just noticing and observing. And the more you can develop your inner observer, it's like a muscle. The more you practice inner self-observation, the better you get at it and the more you understand yourself. And when you understand yourself more, you're more self-aware, you're in a better position to be able to tune into and express your authentic thoughts and feelings, to be that open, more vulnerable person rather than guarded and shut down. You talk about the importance of developing what you call relational literacy. Can you explain what that is and why it's important? 
Yeah. So as I had mentioned earlier, relational literacy, this is the phrase I use um, for the understanding of an ability to practice healthy ways of relating. And it really is such a game changer in life. Um, you know, as I said, you know, most of us don't get a single formal lesson in how to relate in a way that's healthy. Um, and so our, our collective level of relational literacy is quite low. Relational literacy, building relational literacy, I believe is absolutely fundamental if we want to have healthier lives and a healthier, healthier communities, healthier families and a healthier world. Um, when you think of some of the most pressing problems in your personal life or some of the most pressing problems in the world, you know, from uh, like war and poverty, racism, sexism, um, animal exploitation, climate change, toxic communication, political polarization. When you think about some of these like major world issues, problems in the world, these, these problems share a common denominator. And that is relational dysfunction. They all reflect a dysfunctional way of relating, dysfunctional way of relating, you know, between social groups, um, between individuals, between humans and non-human animals, between us humans and the environment, and even um, between us and ourselves. We're always relating to ourselves ourselves. So relational dysfunction really is a common denominator among some of the most pressing problems in the world and also in our personal lives and therefore relational health, relational literacy, understanding how to practice healthy ways of relating is fundamental to both personal and social and also ecological transformation. When we change the way we relate, we everything changes. We change our lives, we change our relationships, and we can change our world. Being vulnerable is like the perfect example of choosing yourself and and being confident and being able to get out there. And I think, I mean, I'm, I've been learning a lot lately about how when you put yourself out there and like just having to, you know, deal with the like just not just being authentic and being able to stand in your truth. And the more you do it, I think that it's like flexing a muscle. It feels like it gets, it feels like it gets better and easier, but it's, 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 it's a really interesting thing. And that's, that is the whole point of what I'm trying to do here is just, you know, open up the dialogue about these ways of relating and being out there and putting yourself out there and, and that it's okay. And that's what I love how you explain that in the book. Um, the other concept I love that you really explain in a beautiful way, you've touched on it already, is about integrity and how integrity begets integrity. And you say that integrity is the North Star of relationship resilience, security, and connection. Um, would you would you mind explaining more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when I was what I'm talking about when I talk about relational literacy, sort of more broadly, building relational literacy or relational literacy is made up of you know principles and tools. And the good news is that anybody can learn them who's really interested and committed. It's not rocket science, right? So relational literacy is made up of a set of principles and tools. Um, but all of these principles and tools are based on one single simple formula that can be applied to all forms of relating. This is what I call the formula for healthy relating. This one simple formula can be applied 
regardless of the duration of a relationship. It can be applied to a brief interaction or a long-term relationship. It can be applied to communication. Communication is the primary way we relate to how we relate to other individuals, to other animals, and to ourselves. Um, and the formula is based on integrity, and I'll, I'll break this formula down. Um, so the formula for healthy, in, in the formula for healthy relating, we practice integrity and honor dignity. And this leads to a greater sense of connection and also security. And I'll unpack this a little bit. Integrity is the integration of values and practices or behaviors, right? So the core moral values that integrity is based on that studies have shown are espoused most widely across uh, cultures are compassion or caring and justice or fairness. So we practice integrity whenever we are caring and fair to others or to ourselves when we're relating to ourselves. Essentially, we, when we practice integrity, we're practicing respect. We're treating somebody else the way that we would want to be treated if we were in their position. Dignity is our sense of inherent or intrinsic worth. When we feel a sense of dignity, that means we feel worthy. We don't feel less than others. We don't feel like we have less of a right than anyone else to occupy space on this planet. So when we practice integrity and we honor dignity, this creates, this leads to a sense of greater connection and also greater security in an interaction or in a relationship. And this is the formula for healthy relating with integrity as really the foundation. Now this formula, of course, like many things, most things in life exists on a spectrum. It's not that you are like your relationship is healthy or it's not necessarily. It's not that an interaction is healthy or it's not. It's that it's more or less healthy. So the formula for healthy relating is, is um, you know, you can flip it and look at, see the formula for unhealthy relating as well or less healthy relating. So when we violate integrity and harm dignity, this leads us to feel disconnected and insecure. And so most of us have relationships that exist somewhere along this spectrum. Most of us interact in ways that will be either healthier, more or less relational or more or less healthy. Like think about, for example, just a relationship you have in your life that you consider a pretty good relationship. Maybe it's a great relationship. Chances are that person, you trust that that person practice it, will practice integrity toward you. They will treat you with compassion and be fair to you. And you probably feel that they honor your dignity. They see you as a worthy being. And you probably feel secure and connected with them. And if you think about a relationship that you have that you would consider a lousy relationship, maybe it's with somebody that you've like never met before, like an online troll. Um, chances are they you feel that they don't practice integrity towards you, that they violate in their integrity when they're interacting with you. They don't treat you compassionately or fairly. They don't honor your dignity and you feel disconnected from them and insecure in that relationship. Right. And the opposite extreme of that, which you talk about in your book, and you know deeply well about me when I had to extricate myself from an abusive relationship, you learn about how it fits in and how you were, I didn't feel in integrity and it didn't, and you don't know that, like you're trying to make it in alignment. You're trying to fit it into being in integrity, but it's so obvious within that, with that inner wisdom that you were talking about that you understand afterwards. And it's, it's really an interesting learning experience to have to go through something like that. 
But that's a really good thing to think about when you're relating to all the different people. Like you said, even all the online trolls, we deal with that a lot. And (laughs) it's very interesting. Um, The third concept I wanted to touch on was pride, because um, you say that pride is the opposite of shame. And I think that's really interesting. And you talk about pride with respect to humility and with respect to grandiosity. And I I think that was a really important concept, if you don't mind sharing a little bit more about that here. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll start by talking about shame, actually. So, so, you know, when we violate the formula, right, when we don't practice the formula, um, the result of that, I said, is insecurity and disconnection. And very often it is also shame, right? Shame is the feeling of being less than. Shame is not the same as guilt. Many people think that shame and guilt are synonymous and they use these words synonymously, but they're not the same thing. Guilt is the way that we feel about a behavior. We feel guilty when we think I did something bad, right? Shame is the way that we feel about ourselves. We feel shame when we think I am bad. Shame is the feeling of being less than, or more specifically, it's the feeling of being less worthy than. When we feel shame, we feel like we are less worthy than others, that we we don't have that sense of intrinsic or inherent worth that I talked about before. We feel shame when, when our dignity is harmed. Shame is an incredibly um, powerful emotion. It's a destabilizing emotion, and it's what I call a very non-relational emotion. It disconnects us from others and ourselves. Shame is also an emotion that only exists uh, as a result of a story that we make up. We only feel shame when we make up a story in our minds that we are somehow less than, we are somehow inferior in a way. People can condition us to make up these stories. You know, you were talking about being in an abusive relationship and a hallmark of being in an abusive relationship is feeling a chronic sense of shame, feeling chronically less than because that's the message that you're getting over and over and over again. But when we feel shame, shame, you know, people who feel shame are not people who are likely to feel that they can take positive action on their own or others behalf. You know, there are people who are all of us, you know, when we feel shame, we become defensive, we become self-protective, we withdraw or attack in self-defense. The flip side of shame is contempt. Um, Contempt is how we feel when we've placed ourselves in a position of moral superiority. So shame is feeling inferior. Contempt is feeling superior. Contempt and grandiosity are very similar. Grandiosity is, you use the term grandiosity. That's how you feel when you feel you're in a sense, in in a position of of moral superiority, superiority to someone. These two emotions are profoundly disconnecting. They're two sides of what I call the non-relational coin. They're very non-relational emotions and they only exist in comparison. You only can feel shame when you're comparing yourself to someone else who you think is better than when you feel that you're less than. You only feel shame when you compare yourself to somebody or an idea you know, of being more worthy than you are. We can shame ourselves when we compare ourselves to an idealized version of ourselves. But shame and contempt only exist in comparison. And the antidote to both of these emotions is the same, and that is empathy. 
It's impossible to look down on or up to another individual when you're looking at the world through their eyes. It's an illusion to think that some individuals have more inherent worth or dignity than others. And as soon as we recognize this as the illusion as it is, as soon as we recognize that when we feel shame or when we feel contempt, that means we've bought into a story, a narrative, a story we've made up in our minds about the fact that somehow certain individuals are better or more worthy than others. It frees us a bit from this trap. Now, pride is the flip side of shame. It's not, it's, it's, the, it's, or the, I would say, sorry, the opposite of shame. Contempt is the flip side. Pride is the opposite of shame. When we feel pride, we feel, and I'm talking about healthy pride here. Um, you know, we feel, we feel that we are no less than anybody else. We are just as worthy as everybody else on this planet. And when we feel humility, this is the opposite of, um, contempt or grandiosity. When we feel humility, we feel that we're no, we, we have no right to be superior to somebody else. We're no, no better than anybody else. So pride and humility are healthy relational emotions uh, or perceptions, and contempt and shame are non-relational ones. And I, I, I can't stress this enough because I think, you know, based on the, the, your listeners, you know, that what you talk about, the content that you talk about on this show really understanding that shame is the result of buying into a myth and that as soon as you recognize that and you when you feel shame you can start practicing self-empathy self-empathy then that in and of itself can be a transformational experience the more you can practice compassion toward yourself and empathy for yourself the more you will be relating to yourself in the way in, in a healthy way and the more you become a part of this broader relational transformation that needs to happen on this planet if we hope to have a planet in the first place to hand down to next generations so beautiful i have tears in my eyes um i have two more questions for you what is the formula for healthy relating if you had to boil it down like what's a healthy relational dynamic or what, what would that be like so that would be the formula that I mentioned earlier, right? Which is practicing integrity and honoring dignity, which leads to uh, secure connections, which leads to a greater sense of mutual connection and mutual security. And this is the formula that I said exists on a spectrum. And the nice thing about the formula is that it's like so universally applicable. Um, you know, you can apply it in all situations to all types of interactions and dynamics. Um, and you can revisit this at any moment in time. So when you're engaged in a conversation with somebody and you start to notice that you're feeling tense, for example, or you notice that you're feeling stressed, you can pause and ask yourself, what's happening here? Do I feel that this person is honoring my dignity? Like if I look at myself through their eyes, do I feel good about what I see? Do I feel that they're communicating with me and relating to me in a way that is really uh, compassionate and, and fair? And am I doing the same? You could revisit this at any moment and sort of use this as your, your relational guide. So Dr. Melanie Joy, I want to close with the question of asking how you choose yourself. Well, I, um, I would say that I choose my relationships and, and myself, you know, I, I really very much believe in, um, what, uh, what, what some feminist scholars have said that, 
you know, we, we learn and grow and become ourselves through our relationships. Our relationships are what feed ourselves and ourselves feed our relationships. And the way that I choose myself is by choosing to be, uh, as healthy in my relationships as I can be and to use those relationships as a, as, as a forum and as, as an opportunity to, to grow as an individual and as a friend or a partner or a daughter or whatever role I might be occupying or an activist, an advocate, whatever role I might be occupying in a relationship or in a relational dynamic. So I really, in it, to simplify my answer to your question, I really try to commit to to practicing healthy relationality in my interactions with myself, in my interactions with others. And in so doing, I use my relationships as a training ground on which to grow my own self and grow my relationships simultaneously. Well, the world is a much better place because you're in it. And I can't thank you enough for your magnificent work that has inspired so many people and especially me. Like I I cannot be more grateful for everything that you've taught me. And thank you so much for joining us here today. Well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you for, for this work you're doing, you know, this, this new work that you're doing, because you have done so much in the world as well. You really have been so out there and raised so many people's consciousness. And, and here you are with this podcast, bringing it to a whole new level. And um, I think it's just wonderful. So thank you. And thank you for having me. This conversation is so extraordinarily important and it's amazing to think about how much inner wisdom we have and how that's so fundamental in changing the direction of all of our relationships and then the relationship with ourselves. If you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, please subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes, and send us an email with questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.